بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين اللهم لا سهل الا ما جعلته سهلا وانت تجل الحزن اذا شئت سهلا اللهم اعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh To everyone Except Ajman <laughs> What is going on here? This is bad isn't it? The good thing is I'm a rock So it doesn't matter to me Wings like a shield are still yara Right So we have my favourite The watermelon ones and then we have, I don't know what's going on there, giant strawberries, huh? the whole thing is haram. Right, anyway, ready to catch this? There we go. All right, yalla youngster, send someone for this one. Oh, let's see how strong my fingers are. All right, there we go. All right, pass it around, enjoy yourselves. No uncles to give us a headache. That's the nice thing of being after Isha. You know, you can relax a little bit, just chill. Alhamdulillah. All right. So you can see upgraded the, the um, backdrop. Some might say downgraded. Some might online might be, might be saying that this is a hostage video. <laughs> which wouldn't be that far wrong. This masjid has been, mashallah, holding us hostage for the last, I don't know how many years. Took every single penny and then turned us into hostages in the, in the new one. So, Allah al-Musta'an. You know, uh, first of all, big salams to everybody online. Um, although I do want to know why Fazan is online again. I do want to know what is happening there. Farah, what's happening? What is going on, Farah? Honestly, Magawa is absolutely slackistan, yani Zindabad she is, yeah? So that's a couple of lessons now. We notice these things, all right? Uh, the backdrop. So if you've noticed... Some people did notice, but on the visual, the, uh, the gray screen, it goes in and out, in and out. It kind of uh, out of focus, in and focus, out of focus, in focus. So we're trying to change that. This will remove that almost definitely. Gray is one of those colors that messes with the, the white balance of a camera eye. So this will allow people not to be disturbed. I couldn't watch even one minute of any of the videos so far because of the the change of the light and uh, whatever. Although Shazad Salim said he couldn't see it. Right? And I'm gonna, I'm not, and he still says he can't see it. I'm just gonna leave that right there. That's the AV guy. All right? So, cello, it is what it is. But the people who know, they know. So, anyway, we've changed it to this. And then we'll look to see what other options are. We have actually, subhanAllah, because of our recording of our videos back in the day, we've got lots of all these fancy. Uh, backdrops, you know, they've got all that kind of wood effect and all that bakwas, you know, natural and blah blah blah. It's a mission, you know, each time you've got to have these things out, tripod type out, put it out, hang it. That's that's missions. Was it though? Yeah, I think these are temporary. I think they said that they're getting some proper ones made or some bakwas. I don't know, man. Anyway, anyway it is what it is, right? Um, Zafar from Istanbul, we should just make sure we add that one. 
Zafar, from uh, Ustaz Zafar of Singhi from Istanbul, he writes in to say that Antalya, same thing. Yeah, the the <laughs> the backdrop is ten times better. The picture looks clearer. Of course, the picture looks clearer because I've got to teach Shazad about the whole concept of a camera. That's the problem, isn't it? This is why we're crying. Anyway, all right, folks. So I hope everyone's uh, all right. Inshallah. Uh, today, I think we're going to try to finish this uh, chapter. I, I was looking earlier on, and I think that, well, not chapter, I mean this, uh, uh, this uh, section. So let's read our relevant Arabic. We're on page 339 of the commentary. Um, in the Arabic, what we will cover today will be... لِمُدَاوَاتٍ بِقَوْلِ طَبِيبٍ مُسْلِمٍ وَلَا تَسِحُّ صَلَاتُهُ قَاعِدًا فِي السَّفِينَةِ وَهُوَ قَادِرٌ عَلَى الْقِيَامِ وَيَسِحُّ الْفَرْضُ عَلَى الرَّاحِلَةِ خَشَّةَ التَّأَذِّي لِوَحْلٍ لَا لِمَرَضٍ Actually, nice lesson to be honest today. Um, it is permissible for someone who is ill to pray lying down. When they say lying down, مُسْتَلْقِيًا meaning flat with their feet towards the Qibla, that's what we mean by that. Even though they are able to stand for the sake of recovery at the order of a Muslim doctor. It is not valid to pray sitting down on a boat if he is able to stand. It is valid to pray the obligatory prayer on one's ride if they fear some harm, but not because they are unwell. So, actually... As I said, today's lesson, a lot of interesting um, uh, angles, tangents, everything, everything. All right, let's start from the top then. Wali Maria, Sheikh says right in the middle of page 339 for those who are following the commentary. Again, those who are new, you can see the commentary just by clicking on the left-hand side. You'll see the Sharh Mumtah there. Wali Maridi As-Salah or Wali Maridin As-Salah. And so for the one who is sick or the one who is unwell, they have the permission to pray. And Sheikh Uthameen goes into a better detail about this lamb, right? And it literally translated, it is, uh, how, do we, how do I translate it? One second, what did I do? You see, I didn't translate it literally. If you look at my English translation, I, my translation, it is permissible for someone who is ill to pray lying down. It is permissible for someone who is ill to pray lying down. وَلِمَرِيضٍ الصَّلَاةُ مُسْتَلْقِيًا مَعَ الْقُدْرَةِ عَلَى الْقِيَامِ Literally translated, um, for the sick one, the prayer is possible lying down even though he's able to stand. Something like that. Right? I've inserted it is permissible as opposed to it is possible or one can. Another, another translation of would be it is possible for the one who is sick to pray lying down even though... In fact, that's, that's actually the literal translation. Exactly, yes. It is possible. It is possible for the sick one to pray lying down 
even though he's able to stand. That's actually the literal translation of this Arabic. But that is not the intended meaning. The intended meaning is that it is permissible. And this lamb is indicating that this is something okay for this person to do. It's possible for this person to do. But this lamb is used by scholars normally, normally in the, uh, the pursuit of trying to prove a point. Normally, for example, to refute a, I don't want to say an errant opinion, but maybe a popular opinion. So for example, Sheikh gives a good example here. He goes, in the chapter of Hajj, when we come to it, a very common statement will be, وَلِمَنْ أَحْرَمَ مُفْرِدًا أَنْ يَجْعَلِ إِحْرَامَهُ عُمْرَةً لِيَكُونَ مُتَمَتِّعًا Right? Literally translated, it is possible for the one who has made ihram with the niyyah of being a mufrid, which is just basically like uh, uh, no, no multiple umrah, just you know, straight all the way through, stay in ihram, okay? So you enter into Mecca, you're, if you entered one month before the day of hajj, you stay in your ihram for that whole one month. Your whole focus is yeah, and you're just doing Umrah straight into the Hajj. You don't need to then do another Sa'i again. You don't need to do a less of a Tawaf. It's a, yeah, a, a simple kind of form of the, of the Hajj. I say simple, shorter, easier, quote-unquote. Did I do Ifrad this year? I, I did Ifrad this year, yes. I did Ifrad this year. Anyway, وَلِمَنْ أَحْرَمَ مُفْرِدًا and so whoever makes ihram, it is possible, sorry, for the one who makes ihram and the niyyah for ifrad to turn his ihram and his state of ihram into just an umrah so that he eventually ends up to be a mutamatti'. Quick primer. What happened with the Prophet He came to... Uh, uh, they all left Medina But only the Prophet ﷺ has brought his sacrificial animal with him And the rest of the Sahaba didn't Right? Because the whole plan is get to Mecca Buy it there And then take it to Mina Get Hajj done Do Zabah on the day of Eid When we are doing Eid here We're essentially copying the Hujjaj Who are essentially copying Ibrahim ﷺ So there's a chain going on, right? So the Zabah, of course, is a big obligation The Hadi is called, yeah, of the Hajj on the day of Hajj, the 10th, the day of Eid, which is the day that everything basically happens. You return back from Muzdalifah, you stone, you cut your hair, shave your hair, you uh, uh, do the dhabah, the and then you go to uh, the Mecca, you do the big tawaf of Ifada, you do the big sa'i of, 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 of Ifada as well, the big Hajj sa'i as well, which is between Safa and Marwa, and then you should ideally then get yourself back to Mina before Evening. This is what the Prophet ﷺ did. The difference is, is that the Prophet ﷺ, when he arrives into Mecca, right, he's got his, obviously his uh, uh, ihram, state of ihram, and he's made the intention from ha for Hajj, from Medina, from a place called Dhul Hulayfa, okay? And this Dhul Hulayfa, which is known today as Bir Ali or Masjid Miqat, whatever, in Masjid, uh, uh, not too far, 20 minutes from Masjid Nabawi. This area is a special area. It's an area that is sacred and blessed and we pray to Raka'ah there because the Prophet ﷺ said pray two units here. This is where the mistake of people come, uh, comes where people pray two units for ihram. Whenever they put ihram on, whether they're doing it from home here, catching a flight, or whether they're doing it in Turkey or Egypt, in Qatar or whatever, in their layover, in their Muslim airline, and they make the ihram, 
or wherever else, but you'll see that there's a popular cultural, it's not fair to call it cultural, but popular Muslim habit to pray two raka'ah when they put the ihram on. And there's some scholars that backed it from, but in my opinion, this is a mistake because people saw the Prophet ﷺ, he put ihram on at Miqat, which now you can do as well because it's got the big showers and everything. It's a massive mosque that's got changing rooms and you can do it. That's a sunnah. Of course, what do we do? Because just generally our culture is different. We put our ihram on in a hotel, right? Everybody gets changed, washed up in a hotel. We go to the miqat and we do the niyyah from there, although you don't need to. Um, and we pray two rak'ah for the blessing of the area. And then we're in ihram and off we go, labbaik, Allahumma labbaik. So that was what all the companions did, put ihram on with the intention for hajj, only the Prophet ﷺ taking the animal with him. When they arrive into Mecca days later, the Prophet ﷺ then turns to the companions and says that what I want you to do is to uh, do umrah and then break your, your uh, uh, state of ihram. And that, that's news to them. They, they were like, you know, intending to stay like the Prophet ﷺ was. Some people started arguing. The Prophet ﷺ then had to try to kind of justify it. And, you know, uh, it's a very interesting whole thing that they were arguing with him. Ultimately, they didn't want to let him down, be alone, you know, because he's going to do the tough one. He's going to stay in Ihram for now days, right? Whereas they're going to come out into enjoyment, tamattu'ah. That's what tamattu'ah means. When you become mutamattu'ah, it means that you're chilling. You come out of the state of Ihram, everything is allowed for you. Uh, eating and drinking and perfume and, and relations and eggs. And you're like not in Ihram and you're in Mecca and you're just enjoying yourself. The Prophet ﷺ is in Ihram. Full, haram, everything haram. So they didn't like the idea. They're like, you know, that this is a lesser form. And the Prophet ﷺ like kind of tried to calm them down, give them, give them tasalli. And so he said that it's because you didn't have the animal with you. If you had the animal with you, then you could have stayed with me. But you didn't have the animal with you. And so therefore, do that. All right? And then what happens then is on the, on the 8th of the Hijjah, that could be a month later or it could be a couple of days later, depending upon when they arrive in Mecca. Then you put your haram on again. That's now the time of enjoyment is gone and you enter into the hajj. And this is the sunnah hajj, by the way. And this is the hajj that the majority of the Muslim ummah does, hajj al-tamattu'ah. And it's easy and it's blessed and it's great, even though the Prophet ﷺ never ever did it. Because he only did one hajj, he passed away the next year. So, um, this statement is very interesting because linguistically translated, let's go for it, yeah? And whoever does like what the companions did, it is possible to go into ihram as a mufrid and then and then turn his actual ihram and his niyyah and his state not into hajj but a niyyah for umrah only. So once you've shaved your head, you come out of your ihram. So you only did umrah. Then X amount of days off and then you make the intention for hajj from Makkah. And so you can do that for Hajj. That's the translation. It is possible. But what is the intention of the scholars when they say that? When they say that, their intention, Sheikh Uthameen, he says, he goes, He goes that actually the reason that the scholars said that that it is possible is to basically indicate that it's absolutely something which is not haram. They're refuting the position that when a person goes into ihram, you've got to stay in that position. So they've put this statement in there to indicate that it is permissible. Some scholars even interpreted the lamb 
meaning it is possible to go even further and said it is obligatory for you to be in that uh, state in هذا لا يجوز لأن بعض العلماء رحمهم الله قال لا يجوز لمن أحرم بالحج أن يحوله إلى عمرة ليكون متمتعا because Sheikh Uthameen says because there are some scholars out there that said that it is haram for a person to enter with one niyyah and change the niyyah afterwards especially when you've made the niyyah for hajj or niyyah with, with your, in your ihram you can't change it afterwards so therefore now the interpretation of this lamb has changed what's the, our learning point as students that when it comes to the scholars and their technical terms the definition of the sentence and the point that's being made depends upon context the sentence will, will, will be translated different ways it is obligatory to, it is possible to, and it's permissible to. And the sentence doesn't change. The wording doesn't change, the letters don't change. And so which of the three meanings are you going to assume? That depends upon the issue at hand and what the opposing opinions were on the matter. So this is, I think, an important point. Uh, Sheikh says, and here likewise, at a much lower level, lesser kind of level, um, what the author is saying is that it is, it is not just permissible, but, but, but possibly it is preferred as well. And yani for a person to pray lying down, even though they are able to stand under the, under the instruction of a Muslim doctor. And that's correct. Because if the doctor is telling you that this is better for you, right? And it's going to increase your recovery time, or decrease your recovery time. Versus a person who says, you know, nah, you know what, I'm going to carry on praying normal and my eye condition or whatever it is, if it takes two weeks longer, then so be it. So he thinks he's a hero and he goes through the kind of, you know, that whole hero zone. But as a result of the two weeks, the quality of his obligations are reduced. He's more tired, for example. He's in more pain and therefore he causes headache to people around him and his family, etc., etc., etc. He didn't please anybody by that action. And what he should have listened is to the, the doctor who's given him a medical reason to change it, not giving him a, t a permanent one, not telling him to change the dean. He's just saying to him, listen, just to get you back up onto in, in, in the game proper, this is what you need to do. And so we will interpret this, even though it is permissible is the actual kind of translation. Permissible is the one that we're going to go with, but it could be understood as being something which is mustahab, uh, uh, something which is liked, okay? Something which is recommended almost. So I hope that that uh, uh, makes uh, sense. Now, the key here, mustalqiyan, we've always said whenever we're talking mustalqiyan, we mean upon his back. This is the key point. This person can stand, which goes to show that it's not always inability that leads to a concession. Right? No, what was the two phrases we used last week? We were discussing this unable and what? Can't? What did we agree on last week? Ajaz and, uh, and uh, Shismo. Unable and can't. Unable and can't. Unable and can't. This is can't. He is able to, right? He is able to pray standing, but he can't. Because the doctors told him that he can't. But he's able to stand. Yeah? So we need to remember that. Yeah? This is, uh, again, uh, 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 the point here. So... The doctor said to him, you must sit down, you must lie down for this length of time and whatever the length of time that he tells you or she tells you, that's the length of time that you've got to uh, uh, pray lying down and it's absolutely no problem for you to do that and you get the full reward of us if you are standing. Now, 
here's the interesting part for discussion. Our author, what has our author put as a condition? Imam al-Hajjawi. Two conditions for this to go ahead. The first is got to be a doctor. The second is got to be a Muslim. Doctor and a Muslim. Where does that come from? First of all, tabib. Uh, 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 what is a doctor? Someone who is treating the illness, understands the illness, understands the progression of it, the diagnosis of it, is an expert in the issue itself. Who is the Muslim? The Muslim is the opposite of the kafir. So someone who is not a kafir, someone who is not ignorant. All right. So it's got to be a professional doctor and it's got to be a believer. These are the two uh, uh, principles being put forward. What is the basis of the, uh, the two things? Well, let's take the Muslim one first. The being Muslim is effectively a phrase or a synonym for being trustworthy. We trust this person to give us the right thing. And the idea is coming from the concept that the Muslim should be taking yani, his life far more seriously than the non-Muslim and never ever consider lying. So let's yani, have a good laugh at that, right? And then the second concept is, the second aspect of that is that the Muslim is understanding of various scenarios and how important a salah is, whereas a non-Muslim would never understand it, which is why he doesn't pray. Therefore, I can trust that person. And so the first characteristic which is being represented by Muslim is not actually Islam, but trustworthiness. The second characteristic which is being um, uh, represented by the word doctor is what? So the first characteristic is trustworthiness. And the second characteristic is knowledge, ability. Right? It's ability. The power to do it. Right? The ability to do it. The knowledge to do it. The know-how to do it. So these are the two characteristics. Now those that have taken, I want to say dominion uh, with me before, those that have taken maybe some art classes and whatever, we do speak about this a few times. It is a, uh, a common theme in the Qur'an and I was pleasantly surprised to see that Sheikh Uthameen also made reference to the same point. He said, when you look at the Qur'an, Allah also makes these two or brings these two conditions up in the statement of the two daughters of Shu'aib, right? In the story of Musa salam, when she said to her father, "Inna al amin." You know, a father, and listen, you know, hire him. You know, after they, they got, you know, he was so sterling in his service. And she, want, and, you know, she wanted that khair to continue. So to, to convince her father, uh, obviously there's some difference of opinion on whether that is the case, is Shu'aib salam, whether it's the two daughters, that's a separate discussion. But let's just go with the mainstream narrative. And they say to uh, Nabi Shu'aib salam, that uh, hire him. You know the best person to hire is a trustworthy one and a strong person. Strong here is not the correct. And this is where you know, some of the art comes in, in terms of what does... Qawi actually here mean? Does it mean powerful or does it mean the ability to do something? And they are close, but there is a subtle difference between the two. So the point is that ability and trustworthy. Al Qawiyu al Amin. That's the best person you can hire. And this guy is trustworthy and he's clearly got the strength and ability to do it. And also in the story of Sulaiman, we covered that in Dominion certainly, when the Ifrit from the class of the jinn when he spoke up 
and when Suleiman set out the challenge to his kingdom, who's going to bring me the throne of Bilqis? You know, let's get this, you know, let's get this game started. We're going to start with mind games. We don't need to massacre the lot. We'll just do them mentally. So I want you to go and bring me her throne, which is so locked up in so many different rooms in such yani, of magnificent nature. First of all, not only when she realizes gone, how much of a shock that will be, but then the levels of when she comes and she finds it right here. Who's going to go and bring that? That will be our starting opening salvo. And the big jinn, Ifrit, that's what Ifrit means, like, you know, like big daddy jinn. He, what did he say? I'm going to bring it to you before you've even been able to get up from your chair. Leave this to me. I've got the ability to do it. I'm trustworthy to do it. So you'll see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioning these two qualities together all the time. Ability and trustworthiness. Because obviously uh, trustworthiness, and what's the point of giving a job to someone to do if you can't trust them, right? And, uh, and treachery and lying and fraud, I mean, that's the worst. And then likewise ability. You've got to have competency, as, as Fahim says. Um, what we understood, Sheikh says, from our author's statement is that if this person was not a doctor, okay, just some basic, you know, Joe Blogs, then, and this guy was to say, if you uh, stand up and pray, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, if you pray standing and do everything standing, I think it's going to cause you some harm. Then his statement is to be, Discarded. That's what we understood from the author, right? So if some random Joe guy says, you know, listen, I, I wouldn't pray standing. Okay? And Sheikh goes, how's that right? How's that right? And that was, what, 30 odd years ago or whenever. Today, where you've got internet, Google, specialist sites, XYZ, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, a doctor's nightmare are the people who come in that have, that have Googled everything beforehand. Yeah, they go in and they sit down. I mean, we know how irritating that is. So, you know, I was thinking that you might want to be giving me some flu coxacin. You know, the doctor's looking at him. I'm going to slap this person right now. Sometimes it goes right. Sometimes the doctor's best he's done. Sometimes it's the extra headache. Whatever the point is, is that it doesn't take a genius to know that if a person's had certain operations or certain conditions, that there are some effective, you know, common sense points. So Sheikh says that sometimes people know more from experience than they do from knowledge, right? I was uh, looking, uh, thingy, I, was, uh, I saw the thingy, I went to Instagram today. Whenever I opened that up, it's like you're diving into a shark pit, right? <coughs> Dived in, saw all this, that, whatever, did a couple of few stories, legged it. But whilst I was there, I saw a jo Joe Rogan, um, I don't think, it wasn't a video, I think it was an advert, right? It was an advert, and I think it was for something for sleep apnea. He suffers from sleep apnea, and um, which is basically, you know, the whole thing when you're asleep, you uh, um, effectively cut off your own uh, 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 airway effectively. <coughs> and it leads you to kind of, you know, and you need to be on a CPAP machine as a mission, whatever. CPAP, my father had CPAP machine, tried it for a couple of days, he threw it in a bin. Sheikh Abdul Ghafar a CPAP machine, so proper behavior. That's why we put Shazad in with him, and we go Hajj. Because he likes the, likes the I want to say, you know how much he complains about, I don't want to be. 
for us. Did you just throw our docker under the bus just like that? <laughs> Subhanallah. And it's horrible, by the way. It's like a proper mask, got to have it on, and it regulates everything. It keeps the airways open and whatever, whatnot. It's like, <laughs> that was a tough year, bro. That was a tough year. You know when they say, you know when they talk about wine? It was a good year, 67. Yeah? All right? So, 19 was not a good year for sleep. <laughs> 2019 was not a good year for sleep. Oh my God, that machine. <laughs> we did the rooming very different this year. Um, so, uh, he It's weird But anyway He's got some kind of uh, Well it makes sense It's a mouthpiece That is clearly Keeping the mouth open Is it what? We're trying to be flash for We're trying to show off for We're trying to make me Look like an idiot for Mandibular Mandibular A what appliance? There you go. Abdullah, do you like that, yeah? Your dad knows some big words, bro, I'm telling you. I told you that, isn't it? Big words. So, he, so what he was saying is that, and he's obviously on his podcast, and he's basically saying, man, it's a life changer, it's a life changer. Just yesterday I was on a flight, and the guy behind me fell, was asleep, and as I was, listen, and as I was just sitting there, I heard the, and whilst he's asleep, and the guy woke up and he turned around and goes to him, he goes to him, brother, let me tell you something. You've got sleep apnea. I'm going to show you something that's going to change your life. And he just showed him his thing. He goes, make sure you get this. And he goes, the guy contact me afterwards. He goes, I've never had that problem ever again, blah, 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 blah. So I, I have a question for you. Now, when you, Joe Rogan comes across and says to you, you know, blah, 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 right? Because this is what I've experienced. Why are we going to reject his statement for? When it's based upon knowledge. Right? Now, obviously, we're not talking about something conspiratorial or controversy, or controversy or whatever. I'm just talking that when we make this statement that it's got to be a doctor, we should say that it should be a doctor or someone who knows what's going on. Right? We shouldn't say anybody, and we shouldn't say only a doctor. But... Uh-huh. So let me finish this page Then tell me what you think Right? The Sheikh says um, So the Sheikh says لأنه إذا علم, so, this, so maybe a person that says this to a guy Listen I don't think it's a good idea that you do this Perhaps he knows this Right? That, that this will cause some harm to this person If he prays standing up Because he has personal experience and he goes, where does medicine come from? Where does the uh, prognosis and, and, sorry, diagnosis and the diagnostic kind of conclusion in terms of medication and whatever, wh where do you think it comes from? Person gives their best uh, judgment. They look at the signs. Nobody's 100% sure. Even sometimes you do a test and you think that it's that, but it might not be. You make your best uh, uh, thing and you put it forward. So he goes that, you have only got two sources for what is actually a medicine. First is that experience, and the second is wahi. The second is divine. So if it comes from a divine source, then that's no you know, arguing about that. Or it's going to come from tajruba. Tajruba means experience. You're going to go through it, 
and you know see what happens. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah An-Nahl, يَخْرُجُ مِن بُطُونِهَا شَرَابٌ مُخْتَلِفٌ أَلْوَانُهُ فِيهِ شِفَاءٌ لِلنَّاسِ that, and from the stomach of the bee comes a liquid of different colors that has a cure in it for the people. Talking about honey and its various medicinal properties. So this is not from personal experience. This is because Allah told us that the honey works. It doesn't matter whether it worked on me, didn't work on me, works on 10 people, doesn't work. Allah has already said it has a shifa'un linnas. So therefore this is the first form of medicine, that which we divinely hear something for it. Also, an Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said in Hadith Bukhari, Hadith number 5687, he said, That black seed is a cure for every single illness except death. Meaning if a person's on the way to dying for, from some form of, uh, you know, irretrievable situation, then that's done. But I mean, normal sickness, normal this, normal that. There's many interpretations of this Hadith. But that's the statement. Black seed clearly has some special qualities. It doesn't matter whether a person did the assay of it, checked it, medicinal properties, this, that, realized it, didn't realize it. That's a divine statement and we've got a clear uh, reality. So this is the, 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 the first way. The second way, we all know penicillin was a complete yani fluke, right? It's the biggest discovery in history ever. All these other aspirins, paracetamols, whatever, you know, most of them are uh, things that we find nowadays we, uh, I mean, you look at mRNA as a, as, a, as, a, as a technology, they didn't intend it originally for, the, for vaccines, right? They were looking, most of these modern technologies, because it takes a lot of money, most of the money, and that's the irony of course, most of the money was good old straightforward cancer, which I believe, I mean, you know, I've got conflicting opinions on the whole concept of cancer, whether it is a, uh, a man-made reality or whether it used to exist and I've done a lot of, well not a lot, not as much as I want to, but my basic study would suggest that the, the, the rate of cancer, however a person could rudimentarily describe it, just seems to be very little back in the day. Back in the day. I mean, it's, it's, it's impossible for that, to, to, that statement to be made either way, but just, just from my own uh, understanding. And the easy way to, of course, to go with, Cancer, because what is cancer but genetic mutations? And genetic mutations is when people start bloody messing around with genetic mutations, right? So once that started, then probably cancer started, right? Who knows? But the thing is that in terms of rates and numbers and, and knowledge, it seems to be linked. So at that time, it wasn't big viruses and things that people were worried about. mRNA was, was all about trying to, or, or not just mRNA, let me say novel drug development techniques and drug uh, uh, targeting or uh, uh, illness targeting mechanisms, which is the real key to get a drug into a very specific place, let it do damage, was always led by the funds made available through cancer research because everybody is really freaked out by cancer and putting all the money towards that. And so they developed these different technologies, which then they realized that, hey, you know what, if we tried this on an inactivated virus or an active virus or a virus that's not even actually there, we create the, the, the inactivated virus, even not even from an actual uh, 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 live virus, then maybe it'll work. And let, let me tell you something. Obviously, right now, we're back up and down with the whole kind of COVID conspiracies. It's a blag, it's a not whatever, whatnot. I look back now over the last couple of years, you know, everybody looks back and does do a review. Do they regret it? Do I not regret it? Blah, blah, blah. 
I'm astonished at the, subhanAllah, the, the level of not just technological advancement, but the success of mRNA vaccines. And maybe in 20, 30 years, we'll all start growing a third ear and whatever and whatever. I wouldn't mind that, to be honest. Yeah. But if that's the price we pay and for normality, I was in a supermarket yesterday, people were chilling, just that one. I said, Kasim, I miss this behavior. People, you know, getting in the way. Get out of the way. That's mine, you know? Horrible. You had a horrible that last couple of years. Kasim. You need to go around all these places, still got the stickers all over the place. I went into, I went to Lee's Grand Mosque. When did we go? Yesterday, Monday, one day, went to Lee's Grand Mosque on Monday. Bro, it's like they're in COVID. Like they've got the, you know, the footprints everywhere and two meters and this and that, whatever, whatnot. Like they haven't even bothered you any getting rid of anything. Uh, or the stickers everywhere, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Yeah, that's it. People are like, you know what, leave it then until for the next one to start. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I can tell you now, Easily, I can tell you and prove it from a clinical point of view that there's been throughout this entire period of time not a mega, mega drop in infection, but in terms of hospitalization and in terms of deaths, a massive drop. And that's because of the immunity that's been afforded by these vaccines. Absolutely no doubt about it. Anyway, the point is, is that it comes by experimentation, it comes by ideas. These are the two sources, either wahi or by experience. If we accept experience, as a source of going with medication. In fact, I will put to you, how many times do you go to... Uh, uh, actually, many people don't bother going to a GP. That's, that's fact. People will normally go to a person who's had that situation and got tablets left over, isn't it? They'll say, you know, you had that scenario, you know, whatever, whatnot, and that's it, 100%. I remember morning sickness, who... Shaz I used to give that out like flipping, like, like thingy, vitamin B10. Uh, uh, um, you know, in this country, it's not licensed. A few other countries, they use it. This is a bit slightly, uh, slight variation, but there's a lot of medication in this country and in, in office, the FDA don't um, uh, allow it in the, in the States that, you know, they're just being very kind of cautious and sometimes they're not just being cautious, they've just got a different uh, standard of evidence. And, uh, you know, we have that kind of arrogant uh, approach to uh, Asian and uh, third world, let's just say third world, or, or the non-West, the East call it, yeah, everything, yeah, uh, West of, uh, everything East of Europe, just say, that they're bakwas, they don't know anything, yeah, um, but they use some killer medications, there's some really irritating realities behind them, for example, they hate the idea of just having one medicine. They try to combine every bloody thing into one tablet. So you go into a shop, can I have some paracetamol? No, you've got to have paracetamol with codeine with your mum with your dad and everything included. <laughs> yeah? You can't just say, no, no, just paracetamol. Same thing with Pakistan. Oh, Pakistan's the same. You, you won't have paracetamol from here because somebody's coming back to Pakistan because of Bring it some. Because they want all of the, they want the caffeine in there and they want the this, that in there. They want a bit of, you know, they want everything in there. Everything. So there's this idea. However, amongst all that kind of bakwas, there's some absolute diamonds. There's some medication out there that is a madness. Absolute madness. Just the other day, there was a person that was suffering from major anxiety and stress and whatever. We'd give this person here, we'd give him diazepam and calm him down and that would be it. Over there, they're using a drug which is like, you know, a lot less addictive than, 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 than a diazepam. 
uh, what we call benzodiazepines. And it is a benzodiazepine, which is a banned type of drug, a controlled drug in most of the, the, the rest of the world because it you know, gives people kind of you know, mood highs and all the rest of it. And it's very, very addictive. And uh, uh, worked incredibly well in so many different people. And this morning sickness thing, I saw it work so well in women who are early pregnant, especially first kid, second kid, and they get very, very bad, and everything fails, and it's just a absolute ruin in their life. And we're giving those tablets out. One, uh, you know what? I, I, when I used to live in Longside back then, Maki Masjid, and people used to, whenever I used to go to Egypt, they used to say, bring 100 packets back. I'll just be buying packets and just giving out in the Masjid to people, just to all their women. That's it. I was looking after all the girls, basically. There you go, love. Take a couple of packets on me, mate. There you go. And all of them, you know, they're like, ah, ah. then two days later, they're all fixed. I was a superstar. That's it. We take that. Easy money, bro. Easy money. Now, I didn't sell it, by the way. I mean, <laughs> she has, I didn't custom you. I never sold a single thing. I could have made so much money on that. You know that? Gave them all the way free. Obviously, they only cost like 10 pence each. My God, it's the thought that counts. Okay? It's the thought that counts. So, Sheikh says, so much of medication is based upon just testing, trying out. And if a person says, even if he's not a doctor, that this is an issue, why would we then uh, 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 thinking, why would we have a problem with that? And Sheikh then also says, also the non-Muslim thing. Now, obviously, I've been speaking about this for a number of years. Yeah? And uh, we've got fiqh of death coming very soon, obviously, in a couple of weeks, maybe, or whatever. Um, and that's a big point in there as well, because especially the decision on operating, the decision on like, turning life support machine off, for example. That's the big one. Got to be a Muslim doctor or got to be a sheikh that's got to sign off on it. Yeah? This idea that the Islam is the fundamental point. And that's a mistake. It is the trustworthiness that is the fundamental point. And this insistence that it's got to be a uh, Muslim is unfounded. Especially what we know about Muslims, right? Like, there's no way that a Muslim doctor generally, generically, is better than a non-Muslim doctor. Not a chance. And it could be argued that when it comes to blags and fraud and this and that and whatever, and frankly, all of you could say whatever you want, probably I'm the only authority other than Shazad Amin, who is not here in the room at the moment, who can actually speak on this subject. Because obviously, I sit on the tribunal that prosecutes doctors. Right? And the percentage of, 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 of desis and, you know, whatever, not desis, I mean Muslims, I should say, Asians, ethnics, is huge. Huge. Blags, left, right, center, God knows what. I mean, it is what it is. Maybe people could argue that, you know, once you do the full numbers and you do, I'm not here to, my point is just to prove that Muslims lie as well. Muslims look for a blag as well. What we should be looking for is a trustworthy guy. And there are many non-Muslim doctors that are very, very principled. I was thinking about this earlier, and I can't remember the guy's name. Is it David Knott? Is it him? David Knott, yeah? I mean, he's got to be the greatest doctor of our generation, of our lifetime. This is the surgeon who's been in Syria throughout all of this you know, catastrophe over the last 10, 15 years. Yeah? 10 years. Um, in, in absolutely impossible circumstances. Impossible circumstances. You would not imagine the kind of thing. And the amount of effort the amount of money he's raised, the, uh, the integrity of that man, the, the trips back and holding the government accountable and being a pain to so many authorities, going back in again at personal thingy, at risk to so many people he trained up, blah, 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 blah. 
What has this got to do with Islam or non-Islam? It's got to do with integrity. It's got to do with honesty, which is not an Islamic-owned trait. And this is an important point that we need to remind ourselves. I speak about this in Protect This House. We used to talk a lot about this in Al-Adab Al-Mufrad. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, That I was sent to perfect good character, not remake it, start it, model it again, but to complete it. There are many very good positive characteristics and values and, and whatever in people, and I'm here to perfect it. Get rid of, you know, clean it up, filter it a little bit, add a few bit of, you know, cherry on top and, uh, and job's done. This idea that everybody before Muslims are, you know, Kafir dogs, X, Y, Z, blah, 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 blah. That's nonsense. Now, obviously, you, you dream about the Muslim doctor that is as qualified as the non-Muslim guy, takes his study serious and whatever. And that's another point as well, yeah, that it's got to be, you know, quality. But has that extra bonus of being, you know, a person who prays, person who respects yeah, any of the situation, you know, the salah, and, uh, or, or understands, you know, fasting, and blah, blah, and blah, blah, and gives you that statement. Our parents, right, I'm talking about our parents as a, as, a, as, a, as a synonym for the older generation, I mean. They hate not fasting. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. Everybody knows it. Anybody who's got parents or uncles or elders will know that they will be on, they'll be diabetic full, or let alone blood pressure medication, they'll come up with, yeah, I'll take the tablet before, or I'll delay it after, or I'll do this, or I'll do that, whatever it is, but they will not miss the fast, right? And it's, you know, it could be argued that, you know, our generation went the other extreme. I say our generation, probably not, but, but you know, certainly millennials, like the, uh, medical staff in the, uh, uh, in the millennial generation, but maybe on my generation as well, but the, with the other side, so cautious, so whatever, right? Especially when we think about uh, pregnancy. That's another good example, isn't it? Pregnant and breastfeeding women and fasting. Now, my opinion is that a woman who really does fear for herself, right, and her child, does not need to make up those fasts. That's obviously a minority position and a controversial position. I get that. But it's one which is backed and it's held by some Sahaba. Um, no compensation, no money, uh, money, sorry, there is compensation, you've got to pay off, but meaning you don't need to make it up, right? Um, whereas the vast majority, of course, all four imams, they said, yeah, you've got to make up all those fasts just like you do with menstruation fasts. Now, the thing is that our generation are straight on to that. Whereas, if you to take our people in the East, right, their, the value system, you can't just put down to education. Like when you look at the Palestinian situation, people like looking at them, parents and how stoic they are. That's the key word, right? Stoic in the, in the face of loss and the like. I, I don't know if I could ever say that. I don't know if I ever could do that. You know what it is? The third world is like that. And people who are in less, yani, in the lap of luxury with a silver spoon in their mouth, they're brought up with different kind of, uh, uh, you know, they don't, you know when we say we don't make them like they used to? It's not just actually an age thing. It's an environment thing. It's an experience thing, right? And yeah, people get upset at the concept of soft and snowflake and this and that. But that's the easiest way to summarize it, that the people are soft, that the people are snowflakes, that the people are, yeah, and you know. And it's difficult because if a woman suddenly hears this and they're like, you know, why should I put, take a risk or whatever? Then we'll say that virtually every woman who gives it a shot 
many of them actually find no problem whatsoever. I remember saying that to one sister and she's like, so you mean you want me to actually try and put myself at risk? I was like, Bhaji, you do what you want. <laughs> All right? And it, the most women will just be sensible about the idea, give it a shot, see what's going on, you know, st do a good level of hydration beforehand and see what go on and eat a bit more and eat a bit more, you know, carbs and the rest of it and be a bit more, you know, sensible and, and see how it goes. And if it's good, it's good. And if you're not and you're in an environment, then, you know, you have the, you have the concession. So um, I do think that the, the, a balance is important. So the key here, Sheikh Uthameen then says that if this, there was, there, so therefore he goes at the bottom of 341, then on to 342. Islam. And Sheikh says, and that's why it's useful to know that some of the fuqaha, they said that there is no condition that the person has to be a Muslim. But as long as he's trustworthy, then that's sufficient, right? And where do we get that? Or where do they, sorry, he's going through the arguments. Where do they get that idea from? Because the Prophet ﷺ displayed this at the most extreme level. When the Prophet ﷺ was uh, being set up for assassination, he's already sent his companions through to Medina, getting close to, you know, uh, D-Day effectively, the, you know, getting out of there. And the plan that he sets up with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq and Asma and Abdullah, the son of Abu Bakr, and, and so on and so forth, and an individual from a tribe known as Bani Deel, okay, his name was Abdullah ibn Uraiqat, okay? This person was non-Muslim. Kafir, like the Quraysh that were all against him, all unified. And frankly, this guy could have not just turned, but he would have just stopped the whole spread of Islam right there with the death of the Prophet Because they saw in him enough to trust him with the most fundamental details of the secret plan to basically escape Mecca. He knew it all. All he had to do was to tell them, right? And it was game over. End of story. That's it. They would have come, found him, and assassinated him. But they saw in him the key, which was not that he's got to become Muslim first, but that he's got to be trusted first. And as far as we know, he never became Muslim. But he was trustworthy. And the Prophet ﷺ trusted him, paid him, yeah, but he trusted him. And we know how that story went. He did his job fantastic. He got the rides ready, said that I think they've gone that direction, and then these lot on the way, job done. This is depending upon a kafir, depending upon a kafir. So that's why uh, Sheikh says that these people, they said that non-Muslims uh, today, they should be analyzed. So some of them are so honorable, Right? In their work, they've got uh, such a pride in their work and in their vocation. Huh? Uh, I'm sorry to say, but more than what some of the Muslims have. And they don't even do it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to get closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not to get close to Allah or to get the reward. Or 
but they just want to preserve their honor and respect, their integrity. And it's true. We all know that. We all know that. And so, in conclusion, Sheikh says, and this is the class position, it always has been, that these are not two conditions, okay? That you've got to find the thing. Now, sometimes you'll find, by the way, again, fiqh of death point, that we need a second uh, doctor as well, this idea. It's not necessarily that you need a second doctor, as much as that it's always good to check that maybe there's a mistake or maybe there's a difference of opinion. Now, I'll be honest with you, I think this is an important thing to keep in mind, but it can get out of control. Because once you, you start putting it out there, you'll start to see a different opinion, then you'll have doubt, and then you'll then go for a third one, there'll be a different opinion, then you'll have doubt, then you'll go for the fourth one, and then there'll be a different opinion. We see that all the time when it comes to medicine. When it comes to the, the you know, direction of do I operate, what do I do, do I X, do I Y, it's like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a bottomless pit, frankly. Anyway, um, uh, I will come to those. I, I will do questions um, at the end, inshallah, uh, Suraya. But no, you can combine it with the uh, Mondays and uh, Thursdays. There's no problem making up fasts if a person is making them up. So anyway, Sheikh says that that's what you should do. If a person says to you that you trust their knowledge and you believe that they're speaking the truth, and they have the ability and have some, you know, whatever about them, trustworthiness and ability, then it's okay to go with them. You don't need to insist upon a Muslim, don't need to insist upon X, Y, Z. It's about trust. Yes. That's right, yeah. All right, then he says, at the top of th uh, 343, and I do want to try and finish, so I'm going to just uh, hurry this up a bit now. He goes that, um, and it's not valid, our author says, to pray sitting down in a boat um, when um, you're able to stand. And this is talking about the, the fard prayer. Why? We know it's the fard prayer because we didn't need this statement for the nafal prayer. Because we know that you're allowed to pray nafal prayer sitting down anyway. So clearly the, the author is talking about the fard prayer. And why is the, uh, the ship, why has a ship been mentioned here? Or a boat? Okay, a safina. Laysat karrahila. Sheikh is saying this because the, the boat is not like, um, uh, 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 it's not like a, uh, a horse or a donkey or whatever. It's got space. And in, back in their day, there was no such thing as a car or a bus or whatever. So it would be, it would be uh, thingy. It would be horse, which is seen as the one to two kind of ride thing. And then the ship is then the people carrier, right? Public transport. So whenever you want to, this is important, when you want to develop rules for today's trains, buses, and planes, we don't look to the ride of the Prophet we look to the rules of a boat. So if you want to understand where the Qiyas is done, the Qiyas is done on a boat, all right? So Sheikh says, because there's often space on a boat and a person can pray standing, a person can do ruqua, sujood, because there's lots of uh, space. And Sheikh says, therefore, as the author has said, if it's possible to stand and X and Y and Z, all of it, then you must pray completely and fully. But then Sheikh says, but if a person is not able to do that because it's a storm or big waves or whatever, and the boat is all over the place, then you can then sit down and pray. You can. All right? So even though the Sheikh has said that, he's kind of kept it very 
uh, he made a very blanket statement, right? The author, he said that the prayer is not, what did he say exactly? The translation is, it is not valid to, to pray sitting down on a boat if he is able to stand. Actually, what we should be saying is that it is not valid to pray sitting down on a boat if he is able to stand and there's no other uh, restrictions, right? So on a, uh, I remember, <laughs> I remember, um, gosh, this is a good few years ago. I want to say Muhammad Sharif and I want to say Walid Basuni and I want to say Yasser Qadi. I want to say these three people. I know definitely Sheikh Walid and Yasser were there. And we were on a boat, okay? And uh, bro, Salah time came. And in the middle of the Salah, the whole thing went mental. And we were like all over the place. All over the place. I don't know how we, we, we even stayed on the boat. And then the second rakah, we just sat down. Just, just bro, sit right down. And that's what we did, yeah. So Sheikh Khurid was leading, I remember, yeah. So uh, 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 definitely um, it's allowed to sit down in that situation. But Sheikh also says something else. He goes, and sometimes, of course, these boats, they have, and this is not talking about modern day boats, but back in the day, they have very small ceilings. So he's talking about the inside of the boat. And so in this scenario, if you can't stand up, you're crouching, then you pray sit seating down. But Sheikh says that, but we've already mentioned on 325, he goes that if he's able to stand, even if he's bowing over, and it looks more like he's standing than he is sitting down, then he should offer that. Because it's better something, it's not just something better than nothing, it's actually a lot better than nothing. So a person should try to yeah, and create the kind of standing move as much as it's possible. So that's the ruling of a ship. Now, when we transfer that to our current planes and the like, it's exactly the same. You've got to pray standing in the plane as much as you're able to. Head bent if, the, if it's an old uh, plane, if it's a new Dreamliner, you've got so much space you can stand, etc. And you should you know, try to make such that if you can, you've got space. If there's like Saudi Airlines, etc. But if it's not and you're going to be ending up praying in the public path is not acceptable, then you should pray in your seat and sit down for the ruku' and the sujood as we spoke about yesterday. Here's the interesting part. And it is valid to pray, what does he say? And it, and it is valid to pray the obligatory prayer on one's ride if they fear some harm, but not because they are unwell. And you might remember that I recorded a video about this for the fiqh salah uh, class that we did a, last earlier this year. And uh, one of the videos was about praying in a car. And we've got to get our mind away from the idea that outside that uh, the reason that we've got, we got a problem here is that, well, let me, let me read this and then you, you see what you think. It's, it is valid uh, to pray the obligatory prayer on, one ri on one's right if they fear some ta'addi. Yani, al-adha is harm, some kind of problem. Now, the, obviously, the $6 million question here is what do we define as harm? What is actually harm? Right? And Sheikh says, as always, Atlaqa al Amri, and he's left it super open, left it in its absolute sense, not mention any restrictions, not mention any details, because that's where the that's where the devil is. That's the detail that's going to stress people out. So um, Sheikh says he's made the harm so wide it could be anything, whether it's hail, whether it's mud, whether it's rain, whatever it is. Anyway, the most important thing, if a person was to be harmed by praying outside 
uh, and he's not yani, you know, going to be able to, you know, even focus or will not be stable in the prayer, then he can pray on his right. All right? On his right. And of course, this is talking about the obligatory prayer because we already know you can pray the nafal prayer in your car or in your ride. Yeah, and obviously today's ride is the car. Now, um, Sheikh says that he didn't mention anything. He just said pray. He didn't talk about the qibla. He didn't talk about what you do for ruqua, what you do for sujood. He didn't say anything like this. So Sheikh saying that what we will say, what we will add, is that if a person is going to pray in the car, he has to, it's fard prayer, not sunnah, has to face the qibla in all of the prayer, as opposed to the idea of the nafil prayer, which is where you start the salah in the direction of the qibla, and then when it goes, whatever it goes, then it goes, that's fine. But you start the salah in the direction, if it's possible, of course. Obviously, in a plane, you can't do that, yeah? But in a plane, you can turn as much to start with the takbir, for example. So if it's that direction is the qibla, and you want to pray sunnah, nafil, whatever, in your seat, then what you do is you'd stand up, and you turn back, Allahu Akbar, and then turn round, and then in the direction of the plane that you're traveling, you would continue. Whereas in the obligatory prayer, you need to do that all the way as much as possible if it was on a ride. But if it's not on a plane, then obviously you don't have any other choice. That's something else. But we'll come to that in a second. So he goes, um, and you've got to be able to, and he goes, you've got to do absolutely, uh, this is something that has to happen because what's that got to do with anything? Why, what would your excuse be to not pray in the direction of the Qibla if you're on your right? Again, he's thinking about a, like a horse or a, or a mule. He goes, as for the ruku'ah and the sujood, then he would gesture for that. So he wouldn't need to come off his uh, horse and by extension, the car. And where is Sheikh getting this? Um, well, actually, let me just go through this all and then you see something, something interesting which he says. This is how the, they understood Sheikh Uthameen saying. He's saying this years ago. He's talking about now, 100 years ago. He goes, this is how they understood their rides. May Allah have mercy upon them. Camels, donkeys, mules, and, and horses. But today, we have cars. And we have ships. And a person can pray on those standing and making ruku' and sujood. And can always uh, point in the direction of the qibla. Fahal, so did we, so should we, uh, uh, should, it be, should it be said to the people then that a person uh, that cannot pray in these things unless there is actually a harm that occurs? Or do we say, uh, that if a person's able, you know, they're allowed to pray however they can, when they have the obligation, they've got to fulfill it. If they aren't able to fulfill the, the obligation, then then, uh, you know, you, you, you don't. But meaning that you've got to fulfill the obligations. The, so there's two positions there. The first one is that you're forgiven and you pray however you want, or you've got to actually try to do ruku' and sujood and everything. And Sheikh says, of course, the second one. He goes, most of these uh, transports, they have plenty of space. He's not talking about a personal car yet. So he goes, for example, the, the, the passenger bus, he goes, lots of space. Lots of space for a person to stand and make ruku' and sujood. He's talking about a ship. He's talking about a plane. Okay, and he goes that these are these are types of things are exactly like the, the, the big ships of, of back in the day. But sometimes you might be on a smaller one, or sometimes the whole naql jama'i, the whole passenger experience is all seats, and there is no actual space for a person. Like we do know that's the case in some of the coaches, whatever. And 
there is no space. And so if there is no space, then he will pay, pray in his chair likewise. Likewise on the plains, if he's able to do it, then he does. But if he's not, then he will pray as much of the prayer as he can properly. And those things like, for example, the sajda, he's not going to uh, do because that's something which he is not able to do. Then he makes a point which I've mentioned many times over the last couple of months, last years and in the class. If a person has the ability to combine the prayers before getting on the plane or pray the prayers late afterwards combined at the end of the second prayer, what you're combining with, so for example, Fajr is at 5 o'clock, you're in the plane at 6 o'clock in the evening, Fajr is 5 a.m. in the morning of where you're going to, you're going to arrive at 3 a.m., for example. And that is technically, according to the majority of scholars, still enough time to pray Maghrib and Isha. Right? And so therefore, that being prayed over there, on location, combined, legal concession, with a full, complete prayer, as it should be, is going to be given priority to be praying on the plane. And I've said that before. All right? However, Sheikh then is at pains to emphasize, he goes, does that mean it's haram to pray on the plane if a person chooses to? He goes, absolutely not. This is the mistake that other people make, the other scholars make, that they say you are obligated to delay your prayer and combine it when you arrive there, unless the time is going to exit. If the time is going to exit, then you pray on the plane. But otherwise, you're not allowed to pray on the plane because you're not able to do all of these obligations and the like, which you are able to do if you combine the prayer later or combine the prayer before you get onto the plane. Sheikh Uthameen says, no, we're not going that extreme. Then he makes a point. He goes, why is it that they say that? He said that they say that because they, they, they looked at the plane, the modern day plane, and they tried to, obviously there was no such thing before, so you've got to give fatwa. When you give a fatwa, you've got to make qiyas, analogy. When you're trying to make analogy, you've got to find the thing that is closest to it and then make the analogous claim. They goes, they looked and they made an analogy on like a, um, uh, arjuha is like um, actually arjuha is a phrase which is like very all-encompassing uh, roundabouts swings you know all that kind of stuff yeah kids stuff and the point being is that you're on this kind of ride and can you pray upon that and the scholars mentioned that because that used to be there you know we push people around swing them about you can't pray upon this because it's not Stable, it's moving all the time in the air. The reason they're trying to give that qiyas is that you're not on the floor and the, the floor is not stable and you're moving, which is effectively what a plane is. You're in the air, not on the ground, and you're moving. And he goes, That's their qiyas, and they said, Therefore, you're not allowed to pray because of the, the movement and you could hurt other people and you're not stable. And Sheikh says, Clearly, that's a mistake. Yeah, and he goes, How can a person say a plane is like a swing and a roundabout when people are sitting there eating, drinking? fine cutlery, whatever, but suddenly for salah, it's like a swing and a roundabout. You know what I mean? But when it's, <laughs> when it's going to toilet and when it's going to eat and cutting any pieces and enjoying yourself, it's no problem in the world. This is great yani luxury travel. He goes, this is wrong. He goes, this is wrong. And so therefore, he goes, um, a person, uh, he goes, therefore we say that the prayer upon, on a plane is absolutely correct all times and whenever you want to. But the better thing to do, because you're going to miss out on some arkan here and there, is to pray when you get to your location, as long as there's enough time combined, or pray before you get onto the plane. Therefore, Sheikh says, he goes, and we can say that there are four categories of transport. Cars, animals, planes, and ships. And uh, when we look at this chapter, and he goes, the author of a road 
which is one of the commentaries to Zad al Mustaqni'. He goes, um, what he said when he gave their when he they gave their ruling on the prayer and the ways that it can be offered in these forms of transport and this idea that a person could theoretically pray in their car, where did they get it from? This very interesting hadith. The hadith is on the authority of what to say Yahya. And he said radiallahu anhu that I was with the Prophet in a journey and we arrived at this area and it was time to pray and it started to rain and it rained and it's you know quite a bit and the the ground was quite soaked. Uh, 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 it was you know it was wet. And the Prophet, the, the Messenger of Allah in this narration, he gave the adhan whilst he was on his hall or his ride, and they're all on their rides as well. and gave the iqama, And then so he gave the adhan, he gave the iqama, and he went forward and he led the prayer on his ride. And we remained on our rides as well, and he would gesture. Uh, with the sujood and the ruku' making the sujood lower than the ruku' and that's the hadith and this has a number of versions a this narration and uh, Sheikh Uthameen he goes that this was narrated by Imam Ahmed and Imam Tirmidhi and at the bottom you see the references narrated by Imam Ahmed volume 4 173 and narrated by Imam Tirmidhi in the chapter of the in the book of prayer in the chapter of that which has been narrated concerning praying upon an animal when it is mud and rain. Hadith number 411. That's a section in the Jami' of Imam At-Tirmidhi, what people call the Sunan of At-Tirmidhi. Imam At-Tirmidhi said this is hadith on gharib. This is a gharib hadith. That doesn't mean a strange hadith. This is referring to a hadith which the, that is chain, is a bit miskeen, right? Tafarrad bihi Umar ibn al-Ramah al-Balkhi la yu'rafu illa min hadithihi إِلَّا مِنْ حَدِيثِهِ وَقَدْ رَوَى عَنْهُ غَيْرُ وَاحِدٍ مِنْ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ وَلَا عَمُلُ عَلَى هَذَا عِنْدَ أَهْلِ الْعِلْمِ So you can see in his statement, and I do want you as students to, to, to benefit from this, he said that he's the only one that renarrated this hadith from uh, Umar ibn Ramah, and actually it's not even, this, this has not been narrated anywhere else except through him. This is what makes a hadith gharib, meaning the chain is singular, right? It doesn't matter if there's, Versions, 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 but if they only go through one person, the hadith, whenever, remember hadith sciences, when it comes to a chain, when we say a hadith is mutawatir, it's because from the Prophet ﷺ, there's multiple people narrating the statement. But if there are multiple people narrating the statement and they all say it to one person and he tells it to multiple people, the hadith is always based upon its weakest link, the ruling on it. Right? A mutawatir hadith has got to be multiple complete chains to the final end. So this is an issue. But here's the thing. Imam Al-Tirmidhi said, he goes, and this has been narrated, this position of leading on a, uh, a horse like this. This has been narrated from a number of the scholars. And this is the practice of the people of knowledge, which is a mahusive statement. It's like, it's a madness actually, because this hadith is as weak as it gets. I don't know of any single version of this hadith that is, weak, that is authentic. 
every chain of it is weak. This was said by Ibn Hajar, this was said by Al-Albani in a modern time, it was said by Shaykh Shu'ib al-Arna'ud alayhi rahmatullah, he said that every chain of this uh, hadith is weak, the only thing which has been authentically narrated from the Prophet ﷺ praying on his right is nafal prayer, never leading a prayer, and so on. So that's what we got on one side. However, the hadith is there, it's weak, it's not, the, it's not a lie, it's not fabricated, it's not uh, uh, whatever, but it's weak. And more importantly, the scholars took it as, a, as something serious. Uh, uh, basically, in an area where there's not much hadith, something indicates that it could be possible. وَفِي هَذَا الْحَدِيثِ أَنَّهُمْ يُصَلُونَ جَمَاعًا So, وَكَذَا إِذَا خَافَ إِنْقِطَعَ عَنْ So, Sheikh says that uh, the author of Rawd, and it's clear that he doesn't hold his position, that's why he keeps talking about the other guy, right? So, he's saying that, and the author of the other commentary, he's giving his own commentary, don't forget, right? So, he's doing Zad al-Mustaqni himself, this is called Al-Sharh al-Mumti' and Rawd al-Murbi', of course, I can't remember the author, his name has gone from my mind. But uh, classic, of course, uh, tafsir, uh, uh, a commentary to uh, Zad al-Mustaqni'ah. He's use, using him as his kind of cover, effectively. So he says, according to him, this is, you don't even need to be, uh, be harmed. Uh, remember we spoke a couple of weeks ago about the fear of the, the, the group leaving? And he says that if the group are about to leave and you know that if you get down from your ride and then you get it up and then you tie it up and you get it ready and you go inside to pray, then you come back out and then you got to get it, whatever, and you know, you got to find someone to get you onto the horse. You know, the whole uh, thing. You know, you might not find someone, you know, might find a thing. It's a process. And he goes that if that process is going to lead you or threaten your uh, losing your companions, meaning them moving off the caravan, basically moving on, then this is enough for you to not get down from your thing. So no rain, no thunder, no hail, no nothing. Just the fact that they're going to leave without me, stay on your horse and pray. That's classical fiqh. That's not even like some modern liberal kind of behavior. You understand what I'm trying to say? Very interesting, sah? Right? And so, uh, 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 and Sheikh says, if a if a qala in and he goes and Sheikh says that and uh, of course Allah does not burden a person in more than what they can bear. And Allah did not place difficulty in your deen upon you. And in this situation you can do that. Now what, uh, so Sheikh Uthman clearly endorses it, but he doesn't want to endorse it, endorse it, yeah? And the same here, and the same with all scholars. I, I, I'll be honest with you, a car is as, you know, uh, as uh, in our modern time, it's just a haven of havens, right? It's the most underrated thing. A car, uh, when you work, I remember when I used to do big locums all, all over the show, lunchtime was great. She's actually, I think, lives his whole life in the car, by the way. I want to say to you right now, I'm only now, mashallah, he's made himself like a palace at his office. But I remember this guy, go any one of his own surgeries, his own offices, and he'd rather go to the car, sit in the car, because he likes the seat warmer thing. Puts it on, relax, this, that, whatever, whatnot, lunch, talk, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Cars now have taken on a new uh, meaning, because people do recordings in there. You know, when it comes to actually wanting to record something, that's the quietest place you can go most of the time. Quieter than your flipping house. Certainly quieter than my bloody house with a stupid dog in the back and you're going woof, 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 woof. So 
the front of the house is better in the car. I remember, subhanAllah, you know when we did the fitna, Tafsir Surah Al-Imran, all of us recorded an ayah. If you've ever seen the, the, the trailer, right? Uh, not an ayah, sorry, a portion of an ayah. Muhammad al-Sharif recites in it, Baqbaqi recites in it, myself, Walid, whatever, whatnot. I think most of us did it in our cars. Because I remember Bilal, you know, putting it all together and saying, right, we're like, we're, we, no, no studios, no professional microphones. He goes, trust me, your iPhone is more than enough. Take your iPhone, put it here, and go and sit in your car. And we all did that. And it sounds like we did it in some kind of, you know, all together came some recording studios, blah, blah, blah. No, man, this is a basic car. So that's the, that's the problem. It's a fitna. People want to be given the fatwa, you can pray in your car. It's not about outside or whatever. It's not. I've been in that, in that situation. I've been there. I know when a person can justify praying in their car. When you're on the A1 and it's 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock and you're driving all the way to Newcastle or Sunderland and it's in the winter time, sorry, it's in the mid kind of near winter where the Fajr is basically going to expire before you get to your location and it's pouring outside and it's like minus 2 and it's all like, you know, North Yorkshire, horrible Northumberland, you know, cold, freezing, bagwas, yeah? And the A1, the worst road in history, no lights, no street lights, no nothing. I don't know what they're paying up with taxes over there, yeah? No motorway, nothing. Just a single thing. I'll tell you right now, custom. I remember pulling over and I said, Wallahi, this is the time to pull the fatwa out. <laughs> and then I got out the car parade outside like a tramp yard. I'm telling you, bro, scared about this fatwa, bro. Because I think, as Shazad Salim said two days ago, I told Shazad Salim when he speaks, then it's the heavy words. Tell him, Shazad, what did you say about the, the Oberoi Ajwa? Once you go there, you're not coming back, bro. Once you go there, I bought Shazad Salim some very nice Ajwa because Shazad Salim, you know, he's a asal guy. You've got to look after him. Problem is, he has an expensive habit, Yara. I said to him, Lala, please tell me to get you sukkari dates, which cost 20 riyals. But he wants the 100 riyal. Bloody ajwa. 100 riyals, whereas 25 quid thingy. And guy doesn't eat like any normal insan. He goes for two, he's gone for two kilos. I only came back three weeks ago. Two kilos. Forget about what mission it is to bring two kilos. Huh? MashaAllah, MashaAllah, MashaAllah. So I said to him, Chief, he goes, they're so good, this, that, what I go, oh God, this is not even that levels. I mean, this is great for the money. Normally in the market, this 101 will cost about 160 at the moment. Yeah? If you go to the Oberoi, there's, there one, there's one there, they sell one, which is like 200 and something, 20, which is like 50 odd quid. Bro, you eat that bad boy, you are not coming back here. Yeah, and I said, Shaz, if that's what you're looking for, he goes, no, no, no. He goes, we can't do that because once we enter into that game, there's not coming back. And I said, the problem is, Shazid, that's true for you. We'll come straight back. Because <laughs> we see that 50 quid again, yeah, we will right back to three quid again. But you won't come back. Because for you to drop 50 quid in a kilo of the good stuff, you're like, yeah, that's an allowance, that is. Huh? She said, Salim, he looks after himself, Yara. MashaAllah, Tabarak Rahman. It's good money, good wealth, work hard. And why, why do you work for Shaz? Okay, see that? So, the truth is, is that a lot of these people, and, and here's the problem, a lot of sisters are saying this, right? And you can't dismiss it that easily because they are worried, scared about their whole situation, being, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult scenario. 
Because I swear to you, once you've given them that first prayer, pray in your car, and you justified it to them because they just don't feel right, don't feel comfortable, don't feel X, Y, Z, good luck to them coming out of that. That's it. Otherwise, I want to say to you, if you believe that it's, you know, and like, for example, it is allowed. I don't want anybody to think it's haram. Like a person's on the way to work and they're wearing, you know, some work dress or you're wearing a suit and you're going to work. You can't go outside and, you know, make a sajda in the, in the rain. So you pray in the car. That's it. If it's pouring outside and you're stuck on the motorway and you couldn't get to the place, you can't pull into service station, you're in an area in between stops, it's allowed for you to pull over, pray. That's it. Don't worry. Outside. And if you're in a situation where you're completely terrified, there's been reports of this, that, whatever, blah, 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 and you need to pray in the car because you just can't concentrate, you can pray. But I just want to advise myself and everybody else that this is a slippery slope. Slippery slope. And the last statement then, Sheikh says, to close the chapter, he goes that this permission is not for sickness. This is only for harm. Because, لا تصح الفريضة على الراحلة للمرض It is not valid for a person who is sick to pray sitting down uh, uh, sorry to, 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 to pray the obligatory prayer in the uh, well, let me just get this right he says it is not valid for the obligatory prayer to be offered on a ride sitting down and not with all of its full obligations for the one who is uh, feeling unwell because the sick person it is, it is possible for them to stop and to come down and to pray. Right? What, 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 the, what the Sheikh is basically saying is that the sick one can just basically pray sitting down anyway. So why does he need to then pray on the uh, uh, sitting down on the right? Whereas the guy who is not sick has to pray fully standing, whatever. So kind of like a logical point being made, which has clearly gone error in it, and now he corrects it. He goes, but if we realize that if this sick guy gets off the uh, ride and is unable to get back on again, or is going to have a bigger problem than getting back, back on again, then, uh, then that is actually bigger headache than the rain and the thing itself. And so for this per person, we will say that no, this is not a correct condition that the sick one can't use it. Anybody can use this if there is a desperate need for a person to use it. Okay? So we'll say, لا للمرض إذا كان يمكنه أن ينزل ثم يركب على الراحلة أما إذا كان لا يمكنه فله أن يصلي على الراحلة للمرض لأن ذلك أشد من الوحل وشبحة يعني we say our class position is that if a person is sick and they're able to stop and pray and sit down and then get back on again then they, they must do that. Otherwise, if a person is sick and is unable to get back on or is going to be more of a problem, more of a headache, more pain, more delay in recovery, might not be immediate pain, but the doctor doesn't like it, etc., etc., then it's permissible for that person to pray in that state. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam. And that's a good, good number of pages done. And we've uh, uh, finished. Honestly, Shaz, you're a hater, I know. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. That's basically two lessons I did there, okay? I know you said one hour twenty, but I did two hour lessons worth, all right? I know you're here, but look at the long-term game. All right, let's do questions. Questions here, otherwise we've got God knows how many uh, uh, here. 
Um, does the niyyah have to be made before Fajr starts, or can the niyyah be made uh, on the making up on the topic of making up obligatory fasts? Does the niyyah have to be made before Fajr starts? Yes, Fahim. When it comes to the obligatory prayer, you have to. You can't make up the niyyah later for the nafil fast. Okay? Is the reward for nafil prayer different if sitting down for no reason or restriction or justification? Yes, the reward is half. The reward is fully half. Okay? Um, uh, what else do we have? Uh, do we know the name? Yep, we got that there. Um, should, we be making, should we be making up those fasts we missed during pregnancy by fasting Mondays and Fridays? So like I said, my personal opinion is that those fasts do not need to be made up, but they need to be paid off. Um, and for each fast, you will feed a, uh, a needy person, and they do not need to be made up. However, there's no doubt that the safer position is to make them up. There's no doubt. And if we're making those fasts up, then we're making those up whenever you uh, want, obviously as quick as possible. And to combine them with general meritorious days is good, like the three bright days, the Mondays and Thursdays. What is not acceptable is to combine them with very, very specific hadith, specific intention days, such as the six of Shawwal, such as Ashura, such as uh, Tasu'a, such as Adev uh, Arafah, the days of Dhul Hijjah. Arafah, days of Dhul Hijjah, maybe. But so, in general reward terms, you can combine the obligatory with them, but when it comes to specifics, then a person then shouldn't uh, do that. Okay? Um, and if there are any questions that I've missed, I think we pretty much got all of those. Then please put your questions to the, the, to the top because I can't see any. Can you see any, Shaz? Am I done? You know, you know, sometimes my thing doesn't refresh, by the way. Does Nia uh, apply to other scenarios? Can be seen as a contract between the... Yes, Nia does, absolutely. Ijlal, um, this is what I said. This is why I said to... By the way, I think you said the sukari was good as well. Okay, can we possibly make that the habit from now on? So, by Al-Buhuti, that's exactly, my mind went blank. I've heard an opinion from a sheikh that the establishment of Sharia councils in the UK West is not possible because we're not in Muslim lands. What would you say to this? I'd say that it's wrong, obviously. It's complete nonsense, that. It's the quality of the scholars, not the, uh, 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 not the, the, the environment. And... Um, so if one is traveling back home from work or uni and Maghrib comes in whilst on public transport It is better to combine once you get home If this is not being done as a habit then yes If it's being done as not as a habit then yes If it's being that uh, this is the case every single day and that kind of situation And you can't change your, your, your shift times and the like Because we know that the time will change quite quickly So it'll be after, after a little while it's going to be uh, um, uh, It's going to probably be okay um, but as one-offs here and there, or maybe like once, one or two days, you know, here and there, I think that's okay. Also, I do want to encourage people that to try to be more confident about the time of Maghrib. People lose the confidence in Maghrib. They think, which is obviously correct, that the best time for Maghrib is the, the 15 minutes, that you have 20 minutes that you have, but technically you have an hour and 35, 40 minutes. 
before Isha starts. And so people are not thinking that way and therefore they just, you know, force themselves to do things when they've got another hour left to go home and pray on time. I know it looks late and feels late, but, you know, it's something which is uh, uh, possible. Abdullah. Oof, deadly question. Um, can you start before there and then finish it later on? Oof. Heavy question. Heavy question. And it's a very good one. Right? This is the same question as the, the, the I mean, the, the, uh, Abdullah's question, which is if you're praying in a uh, car and then you get to your actual location, what do you do now? Right? You obviously are not going to go out and continue the prayer. But the real question is, is that do you carry on, complete the prayer that you've arrived? Obviously, you're not driving. You're a passenger here, obviously. Do you complete the prayer? Option one. Do you cut the prayer and go inside and continue? Okay. Or do you cut the prayer and you go inside and you do the whole prayer again? There are three possibilities. Let's have a vote on the first one, which is that you complete the prayer in the car. Put your hands up. Okay, we've got five votes for that. All right, second, which is to do some hybrid madness. Okay, we agree that's off the table. Okay, and then the third one, which is to pray at home proper. Right, very interesting. Pray at home proper. Anyone lifting their hands? Everyone's nodding and no one's lifting their hands. These guys at least lifted their hands. Okay, so the majority are will pray at home proper. Okay, and the problem is, is that prayer at home proper is a cop-out. It's the easiest and the correct and the safest position. Technically, right, that, 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 that's a fact though, isn't it? Yeah, you know you're not taking any risks. You've, you know, you feel good about yourself. You didn't do the black, you know, sitting down. So it's not exactly a brave position to hold. What we really need to identify is whether the first opinion is valid or not. So how is this different to what I did today, which is to pray Asr at one o'clock, in Leicester, and I got home basically before Asr started. I got back to Chidu before Asr started. So why didn't I pray Asr again? Yeah, you finished Asr. Okay, using a concession. Yeah. Right? Not ideal, should pray on its right time. Okay, true, I didn't leave out Arkan and stuff, but I prayed it. You know, using a concession, praying it outside its right time, person will say, Well, no, you did it according to Sunnah, and that's combined. Then I'll say, Okay, well, also, it's allowed to pray sitting down. Might not be the Sunnah, but it's allowed to pray sitting down on a ride if there's a need. That's what we've just established. But again, we're going to bottle it and going to say, No, we're going to, you know, you're at home now, you're going to pray again. Um, I think that. In this scenario, the, if the scenario is what Abdullah describes, you've arrived home, then of course you're going to go inside and you're going to pray. Because there's just no basis to pray in a car, Aslan. But the real question would be, let's say that you stop, you finish the prayer like five minutes before getting home. Right? Um, or a real version of this would be you're in the worst traffic jam and you can see that Maghrib is about to expire and you see that it's 10 minutes left before Isha start time and it's absolute chock-a-block and you just pull over and you pray. And then you pull back in again and suddenly traffic all disappears, you're home 30 seconds later. <laughs> That's the real version. I've, I've done that, by the way. I've had that, right? 
So suddenly, like the 10 minute journey, you're only from the, around the corner from the house, but because the, the traffic lights and X, Y, Z, whatever. So that, then, then you, you gotta, you know, make a shout now. That's where you say to yourself, the, how confident I feel about this concession. And this concession, as far as I'm concerned, I don't feel confident about it. So I am going to pray that myself. But can I say that? No, that would be a problem. From a legal point of view, if I'm making people pray again, that's the worst, man, because there's no prayer that's offered twice. We shouldn't do that. Yeah, we should have some standards, but, you know, I don't think that we should fall down that rabbit hole because it's deep. More importantly, yeah, but anyway, that's that. Anam, yeah. 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 Well, I think it's already, uh, I mean, uh, if a person prayed it already and you pray again, it automatically becomes demoted, right? You don't need to do anything or say anything. Once you've gone in and saying, I'm praying again, then clearly, with it being more complete and more full, it's already become the better, more perfect uh, uh, prayer. Um, so Nay makes a good point here. He goes that if we were to make analogy with finding water in the middle of Salah, which started by Tayammum, Right? So this is that classic scenario, and there are a number of scholars that hold this position, by the way, that you've made, you've, you, know, you, have, you haven't found, any, you've got no water, and you make tayammum, and you start the prayer. This is, we, we covered this in uh, year two, I think. You know, I said that the, the taps are on, then you hear, and then the water starts coming because the water's been turned on again. I would assume to start the salah fresh at home because the rukhsa is gone. You see what I'm saying? And likewise here, he's got home, and now, whatever. Which is why, uh, Naeem, I said that this one's too easy. Yeah? Let's make it more exciting and say that you did the concession five minutes before arriving between expiry time. What would you do, bro? Tell me what you would do. Um, and then, uh, 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 where's uh, Ijaz? Ijaz says, how can someone ensure their intention for observing sunnah fasts remain focused on religious devotion and not be overshadowed by the desire, desire for weight loss? What a question. I have, a, I, have a, I have a more important question, Ijaz. Why are you not here when you are literally two roads down there? That's what we want. That's what we've got to ask Ijaz, first of all. Huh? Lazy Paki, Qasim. Right? Fazana, at least, you know, is miles away. That's fine. What were you doing? It's, it's there. This is a tough question because a lot of people are banging into this whole Monday and Thursday thing, you know, intermittent fasting. Well, not really, but, you know, kind of. And it's a, it's a, it's a real fitna. It's a real fitna. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. The, I mean, there are some obvious things that if you're on an intermittent, intermittent kind of program, then when Monday and Thursday comes in outside the program, you should break it and, and fast the Monday and Thursday. I think that another way of breaking it is to intentionally... It's not... It, I, I don't actually... I don't have any answer to that. It's a tough question. Well, that's a good one. That's a good one, yeah. Yeah, any person should be fit anyway, should be looking to lose weight anyway, and say that this is a sunnah and you're doing both things. Sounds like a black to me, to be honest, Bobby Jay. All right, I think we're done. Should that Salim thingy? But uh, name, I do want you to. I'll come. I'll, I'll read the, the things uh, a bit later, but I would like to hear. It. All right, the real question is: is the backdrop? I guarantee you, when you go home and check the video, the video is perfect to play. It doesn't kill your eyes. Shazad Salim, honestly, 
I need you to check uh, spec savers, okay? That's, a, that's where we're going. Zakum wa rakhaya subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika ashadu an la ilaha illa anta wa astaghfiruka allahumma wa atubu ilaik wa salam alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.